Welcome to Calvary's small group curriculum for our eight-week fall teaching series, Calvary Next. This is the audio version of the video teaching for our small groups. Please go to calvarywestlake.org forward slash next to access the video, group discussion guide, and daily devotionals for each week. Now, here's session five. Session five, we're focusing on empowering and discipling the next generation with Pastor Sean and Gina Spivey, our family ministries pastor. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and in particularly the book of Acts, is found in Acts chapter 16. This is a story of Paul and Silas. As Paul is ministering, Silas is his ministry partner. They're in Philippi. Some people come to Jesus. A church is formed. Great things are happening. And so they get this crowd together that goes against Paul and Silas. They beat them with rods, the passage says here in Acts 16. They throw them in prison, and uh, it's the middle of the night, and an earthquake comes, and the doors of the jail open, and the jailer wakes up, and part of his responsibility was if any of the prisoners disappear, it's obvious from the text, his life is in trouble. He's gonna be killed if any prisoners escape. And uh, those authorities over him are gonna hold him accountable. And so uh, when they say, look, we're still here to the guy who's about to take his life, the doors are open, but we've stayed here, don't take your life. There's something different about these prisoners. It catches this jailer's attention and he's humbled by their kindness and making sure that he doesn't suffer uh, from the potential escape that they had. And so he looks at them and says, okay, you've got something that I don't have that I need. And so he says, to them, what do I need to do to be saved? And there's something deep in that question. It's, it's a deeply religious, theological question. It's a very practical question because he sees such a difference in these men and the message they preach. And so they respond in Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And so they speak to his wife and to his children, perhaps any servants he might have. He's probably a powerful man who has some influence in the community there at Philippi. And so they are able to share with him the hope of Christ, to share with his whole family. And his family and this man come to faith in Jesus. They baptize them. It's pretty incredible because there is such an emphasis not on only this man coming to Jesus, but Paul and Silas say, this message, this hope is for your whole family. And we know throughout the scriptures that there is a desire on God's part that God's people pass on to the next generation faith in God. From the Old Testament, we hear from generation to generation, we're to teach our children, our grandchildren, our, and our grandchildren's children. There's even a principle in the New Testament of older women teaching the younger women, older men teaching younger men. There's to be this emphasis on spreading the hope of Christ to the next generation. And that's really important here at Calvary. And I love how in Acts 16, they're not just concerned about this man and his generation, but this man and his children. And so they put that emphasis on the good news of Jesus going to even the kids in this family. One of the things that I've prayed regularly for my kids is that they would come to know, love, and serve Jesus more than I have, more than Leslie and I have. You see a pattern in the Old Testament, one nation, one, excuse me, one generation will have a passion for God, they'll have their identity with God, they'll have their beliefs surrounding God, and then the next generation, they have the beliefs and the identity, but they've lost the passion, and then the 
third generation, they have the identity, but they've lost the beliefs, they've lost the passion. So in our case, they might call themselves Christians, but it's just a label compared to something else where what the scriptures teach us, and even as we see in Acts 16, we're to include our children in spreading our faith and making disciples, that the next generation in our homes and in the next generation within our church needs to be a part of the focus of our discipleship, reaching them with the gospel, training them to serve Christ, to walk with Christ, to live for him in our world so that they too can be transformed by the spirit of God. They too can live in love like Jesus and others will see his kingdom lived out through them. One of the things I also think we need to focus on as parents and when it comes to the next generation is make sure that our kids know that we love them more than something we disagree with them about in terms of their their beliefs or the, the patterns of life or behavior they've chosen. They need to always know we love them more than we dislike that thing. Sometimes in our passion to pass on our convictions, we lose that compassion of caring for the next generation and making sure they don't just hear what we believe, or the convictions we hold, but they know we love them with the very love God has shown to us, that we're showing them the love of Christ from the time they're a little child until they're an adult. And as a church, we need to be doing that for all the kids that are under the influence of our church ministry, whether they're in early childhood, they're in elementary, middle school, high school, even into the young adult stage. We need to be investing in them in such a way that they know we love them as Christ loves them. And Calvary has had a longstanding history of investing in the next generation, of loving them no matter what. And I've seen folks who have been gone from Calvary for sometimes a decade or so, they'll come back and say, you know, I was dedicated by Pastor Larry when I was a child 30 some years ago. And uh, when I went through some stuff in my life and in my family, and I started realizing how much I needed God in my life, I I'm back here at Calvary because of what this church and my parents and others invested in me. And so our investment in the next generation is now, but our investment in the next generation is long-term. And we need to be ready to love them uh, through the various stages of life and through the various twists and turns of life as Christ has loved us the same way. Well, thanks, Sean. I love that story as well. And in the context of that story, we see the jailer asking, what must I do to be saved? And I feel like sometimes people are asking that question, but not necessarily with those words, right? So they're asking other things. Maybe what's my purpose? What's the meaning of life? I mean, there's different things people ask. And Gina, as our family ministry pastor, what do you think are the questions that the next generation is asking? Yeah, I mean, I think they're asking a lot of great questions of us. I was sharing earlier in the message translation of that book, it says, what must I do to be saved to really live? Mm. And I thought that was so beautiful. And I think it speaks to kind of how the next generation is asking questions. I think the way that the next generation really sees the world, the framework with which they ask their question is, how are we treating one another? What does it look like to be a believer in relationship with one another? How does the world see us in the way that we're treating each other, not just within the church or other believers, but the rest of the world? And I think it's a beautiful question, and it's an important one that needs to be asked. So I'm proud of the next generation, and I'm learning um, through my own kids and through this role just kind of to see the world through that lens as well. It's interesting you say that because you think about Jesus and we talk about living and loving like Jesus all the time here at Calvary. If you think about one of the radical things about Jesus in the time he lived, caught between the empire and the temple in a way, mm -hmm. he he lived in such a way that it, he radically treated people differently than yeah. anyone had ever treated them before. He turned yeah. everything upside mm -hmm. down. Yeah. And that's right where we are 
in mm -hmm. this generation mm -hmm. of young people and students who are asking, how do you treat each other? How do you mm. treat someone who's different to you, someone you disagree with? Yeah. Very important. Yeah, and they're looking at us. I think they're looking at us as a church. I think they're looking at us as their parents, as their leaders, and watching how we're treating one another. And they're expecting a lot of us. Right. And I appreciate that because it calls me to a higher level of Christ-like compassion and love for one another. And part of the challenge, of course, is that in the last few years, perhaps it's always been the case, but it just feels like more so in the last few years, there's been so much more divisions within mm. the Christian mm. Umbrella. Mm -hmm. So I think the generations looking at, and I hear this from younger people a lot, that the church has not done a great job yeah. of answering that question with love and kindness, and yeah. we've answered it maybe in other ways. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Like there seems to be a higher distrust of institutions as a whole, but the mm -hmm. church in particular. Mm -hmm. And how do we help uh, our young people kind of overcome that hurdle? Yeah, I think first the most important thing when it comes to relationships with young people and the way that we see the next generation is to not panic, to give them some credit. I think it's like we've done a lot of kids these days. Yeah. When it comes to this next generation, they have a lot to teach us and they have a lot um, to offer and to bring to the table. And so we need to sit and listen to what their genuine concerns are and not panic when they say things like, I don't trust the church or mm -hmm. I've deconstructed my faith or mm -hmm. this or that, or I've seen hypocrisy or I'm not proud of how the church responded in this issue or that issue. And to not become defensive yeah. of the institution that we love and to really be able to listen and take a step back and understand where they're coming from. They're a resilient generation. They've obviously been through a lot specifically in these last few years. So they have a lot to teach. Mm -hmm. And I, I just love when I, I don't have to take a defensive posture and I can really listen and learn. And I think we all have a lot of that that we could do. And when we do that, we can hear that it isn't because they're just cynical and they don't love the church. There are real genuine right. concerns that can help shape and mold and sharpen us um, in the future and, and to be able to promote that next generation to a level of leadership. I agree. I think, too, churches tend to have life cycles mm -hmm. where you get to a certain point where in, at Calvary we've had one or two key generations that have led. And when you have one or two generations that have led for a season to empower the next generation mm -hmm. is uh, counterintuitive because yeah. we kind of think, well, we're the older ones. We've established, we've got this, where we've got yeah. to equip the younger people to serve, to engage in ministries. I love it when I see it. VBS and mm -hmm. other occasions when you have middle schoolers and high schoolers engaged in ministry. I know in my own life, I remember realizing, wait, God can use me. Yeah. And when you learn God can use you, that that can be a, just like, a, opens a whole new dimension to your relationship mm -hmm. with God as a young person. Um, in the story, we see how the jailer asking the question, being open and then receiving mm -hmm. Christ then flows the blessing onto mm -hmm. the whole household mm -hmm. and the whole family. Um, we know, and I could just think of a dozen families where one person comes to faith yeah. and then it kind of trickles to the rest of the, mm -hmm. the families. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you guys could share a story of where you've seen that blessing become to the whole household with uh, starting from one person. Yeah. Kids um, who are affected by a disability are so a part of our family here mm -hmm. at Calvary. And we often see mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, extended family come to Christ mm 
mm-hmm. by watching what it means to compassionately love one another, but also to value right. every life, to right. value each child and each student and each person mm-hmm. as image bearers of Christ. And so we see that all the time within the special abilities ministry. A kid comes and they're just enveloped into our world here and we honor and cherish them and value them and love right. them and promote them. And then their family steps back and goes, I want to be a part of that. <laughs> they're asking the question, how do you live like that? What does it mean to be saved? And then they come to know the Lord. I mean, we see it time and time again through the special abilities ministry. I think it's one of our most evangelistic, mm-hmm. you know, outreach things that we get to do, which is pretty incredible. I was just going to share one more thing too. I just got back from middle school camp and they share the gospel message on uh, the Wednesday that they're up there. And then I think the most beautiful thing that they do is after they share the gospel message and kids accept Christ, they allow their students to stay and pray with one another. Mm. And I mean, there's not a dry eye when you sit back and you just watch middle schoolers praying over one another and think about the faith journey that is for the middle schooler praying and the one receiving prayer just to have your peers. And I was just going, there are just pastors and shepherds Mm. all over this place. Like they're just leading one another and there's nothing more beautiful then allowing them to do that. And it was that just really, really gets to the heart of what I was talking about, even as we I looked over Acts 16 and talked about how you can have one generation that has the passion, mm. beliefs, and identity, and by the third generation, they've only got the label, exactly. the identity. But when they do experience that, where they get to pray over each other, walk with each other through things, sit, um, even maybe in sad times, mm-hmm. and just be, you know, extend encouragement and grace yeah. to each other, I think those moments help them carry not just the identity forward, but it helps them carry both the beliefs and the passion forward of what it means to be a follower of Christ. I think most of um, those that are watching are in the older generation, more likely older being us. You're you're, you're, you're younger. Listen, she's got us by she's 15 years younger. Yes, so you're the new generation. But I think sometimes I hear people say they're not they don't want to get involved with um, being a small group leader for students Mm -hmm. or with um, you know the kids because they feel like we're kind of irrelevant now. Like you know, it's um, we don't know what they think. We don't understand the latest app or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so people say that. And I recently had a conversation with Connor, um, who's our middle school pastor, and he said, we love having parents and grandparents, and we love having um, people who don't have children, but just really are interested in um, caring and shepherding the next generation Mm -hmm. to come alongside us. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we get intimidated thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, we're kind of too old and no longer relevant, but that actually there's such a hunger for that. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed that um, in terms of how we as a church and the the older adults Mm -hmm. can invest in the younger. Yeah, absolutely. I I have noticed that and it's kind of what I was touching on earlier. And it's not just at Calvary. I just think it's across across the world. It's across the country. It's across Christendom. It's across all all of it where we say like kids these days and I just don't get it. I just don't get the apps and their phones and this and the other thing. But when you step in and spend time with children and students, you grow an empathy too Mm -hmm. for their life experience, for what they're going through. And then you deepen your level of understanding and love for them. And that older generation has so much to offer this younger generation. We need it. We need mm. this, this children and students need that older generation to pour into them, to help and shepherd them in a loving, kind, right. gentle way and in an understanding way. And the only way to really understand this next generation is to be in relationship with yeah. them mm-hmm. via a small group, via serving. One of the best ways to serve the next generation is to lead a small group because you're doing life with these right. kids. You, you're with them in the hard times. You're with them through struggles, through celebrations, when they get baptized, 
organized. Um, my son is lucky. He's had the same small group mm. leader since he was little all the way through. He's followed him into middle school. And it's a it's a game changer. Right. Yeah. So how would you respond, Sean? I know there's so many parents and grandparents that come to you and ask you uh, and us as well about the, the heartbreak of having a child walk away from faith. Mm. And I know you also talk about not being defensive. And you, you uh, alluded to it earlier, too. Right. Just expand on that a little bit because I know that's such a pain close to people's hearts. Mm. Well, one of the things I think happens with parents and grandparents of, like, say, high school, young adults into maybe their 30s who walk away, um, choose to live mm -hmm. uh, differently. differently than the scriptures mm -hmm. would lay out for a child of God. We've got to understand that our kids have got to know we love them more than we're disappointed yes. or more than we don't like this or more than that we think they're wrong. Not that we don't think they're you know, walking in sin, but they know that. One of the things I'll say is someone will say to me, well, I always tell my son, you know, well, it's sin. And they tell him over and over and over. And I say, don't tell him anymore. Mm -hmm. Just love them. Exactly. But I got to know. But you, then I say to the parent, you're doing it for yourself mm -hmm. and maybe for your Christian friends. You're not doing it for your son or your granddaughter mm -hmm. if you're telling him always that it's sin. You can agree with someone. I think one of the biggest challenges in that third phase of loving our neighbor, and sometimes that involves loving our own children or grandchildren, <laughs> is that you can you can disagree with someone and still love them Absolutely. completely. Yeah. Jesus did that all the time. Absolutely. But you don't have to emphasize, I disagree, I disagree, I disagree. You have to emphasize, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I think mm -hmm. that's a big thing. And the other thing is when someone's deconstructing, don't panic, as Gina said, mm -hmm. because what they need is a healthy partner to let them talk through it. And I know even with my own kids, I wasn't always good if they came to those points of, because it's not always a major life moment they deconstruct. It can be little things right. they deconstruct. Yes. And so you've just got to be willing to listen and hear mm -hmm. and say, I get why you think that. And then go back to, uh, do you understand why I think this? And so it's more of a dialogue than it is just a, I'm right, you're wrong. Stop it. Just stop yes. it. <laughs> because as parents and grandparents, we just want to say, stop it. Stop deconstructing. <laughs> right. Stop living in sin. Stop whatever. Whereas if you take more of a shepherding, Christ-like, long-term approach where you, yes, you have your convictions, but you have compassion for the people that you even consider your own family. That's important. Same thing for the church with anybody in the next generation. We've got to be willing to let them be heard yeah. and then share with them the hope that's found in Jesus in a way that is not just I'm right, you're wrong, mm -hmm. but allows them to move through the journey and we're walking with them in love rather than just you have to decide now or goodbye. Yeah, I, I heard a sermon the other day I thought was so beautiful. He was talking about- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it oh, was, it was, mine, was, right? it was yours. And then later in the afternoon, I listened to another sermon and he was talking about how we've kind of, we flipped the story about Jesus and sinners. And we say like, Jesus hung with sinners, but the reality is the sinners hung with Jesus. Right. And they hung with Jesus because over time, yeah. they became more and more enamored with who he was and yeah. changed. They changed their behavior slowly over time just by being in his presence. Right. The sinners were seeking that. And I think if we can learn to just be that non-anxious presence, to just be there and just behave and model the best that we can who Jesus is, allow the sinners to come and see what that looks like. And over time they learn, this is the norm. This is right. This is what the Bible teaches us. This is who the Holy Spirit is. This is what Jesus is. That they'll change over time. What's happening is we're fighting a war. You know, we're fighting a war against culture and then right. people aren't sensing that sweet aroma of this is mm. who Jesus is. Being together, proximity will break down some of those barriers. Totally. 
And you'll find that every generation has similar hopes and dreams and struggles mm -hmm. and, and hurdles in life. And so to invest in that next generation, again, it, this is we're talking about this at the church level of decisively empowering the next generation mm -hmm. to reach their own generation for Jesus. But we're also talking about as parents, yeah. mm -hmm. as adults, we intentionally find ways to engage with early childhood, mm -hmm. elementary, middle school, high school, even into young adults. And whether you've got kids at home, we see a lot of great parents who've done a good job raising their kids and when they hit that empty nest stage, they withdraw yes. from all the next generation yes. ministries. That's when we need, we yes. need empty nest, yes. uh, mature Christian adults who are in their walk with Christ becoming more like Jesus. We need them to invest. So I just want to urge everyone to embrace the idea of empowering that next generation and understanding like in Acts 16, it's not just about you, but it's about your household. It's about the next generation. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please go to calvarywestlake.org forward slash next to access additional resources.